It's December 2021, and I think we all need a little Christmas, or maybe a lot of Christmas. So I'm kicking off the holiday season with a quick discussion of one of my favorite Christmas movies, The Lion in Winter. While not a typical Christmas movie, it is set at Christmas, the royal Christmas court of Henry II in 1183. We know then, right from the start, that as historical fiction, it's more fiction than historical, as there was not a large royal Christmas court in 1183. Henry II spent that year's celebration with his son John, who was rumored to be his new favorite. Henry's longtime heir, called Young Henry to distinguish him from his father, had died in June of 1183, throwing the notion of succession into turmoil. Young Henry had been intended to inherit England on his father's death, while the next oldest son, Richard, had been intended to inherit Aquitaine from his mother. In fact, Richard had spent years in and around Aquitaine preparing to take control. But with young Henry dead, it wasn't exactly clear who would end up ruling what. So, in fact, there was no big Christmas court in 1183. But there was one the following year. Christmas was held at Windsor in 1184, and Queen Eleanor of Aquitaine was invited out of prison to join the festivities. Royal brothers Richard and John were definitely there. So this is probably the year that inspired James Goldman to write the play, A Lion in Winter, that was made into that 1968 movie that I enjoy so much. True, the movie veers into all kinds of questionable takes on the history of the period. Richard and Philip's relationship is less certain than it's portrayed. Philip of France was certainly not at the family Christmas celebration or included in royal family discussions. And Eleanor had not been staging a series of rebellions in an attempt to lure the king back. Still, the spirit of Eleanor, who was about 10 years older than her husband, we don't know exactly when she was born, is, I believe, perfectly captured by the astonishing Catherine Hepburn. Yes, it's a bit awkward for an American icon to play the queen consort of France and England, a woman born in Poitiers, but I must admit I was so completely taken by Catherine Hepburn's performance that after seeing the movie, whenever I thought of Eleanor of Aquitaine, Catherine Hepburn popped into my head. And I'm not the only one so thoroughly convinced by her portrayal. She won an Oscar and a BAFTA award for the role. All in all, it's a movie I love enough to look past the laughable inaccuracies, such as the family wrapping gifts in cloth and putting them under a Christmas tree. It's a great way to get a little sense of the time and of Eleanor herself. But despite the drama of the actual family Christmas, which was part of reconfiguring the succession and deciding who would be in charge of what parts of the kingdom— That 1184 Christmas court was not Eleanor's only controversial or especially memorable Christmas. 
In fact, I've recently explored a few of Eleanor of Aquitaine's more standout holiday celebrations for Historians Magazine. I thought I'd share some of those, as well as some of Eleanor's other memorable holidays, with you today. Eleanor was born in around 1122 to 24 and grew up in the court of Poitiers. Her grandfather, Duke William IX, was known as the, quote, first troubadour, which means he was known as a lyric poet. In fact, he's the earliest poet whose work survives. We have 11 of his songs. He was described by one contemporary as being the, quote, most courtly man in the world, as well as, quote, one of the greatest deceivers of women. So the family celebrations growing up might have had their own drama to prepare Eleanor for what was to come. Eleanor's mother and her brother, who had been the heir and was prepared to inherit the title of Duke of Aquitaine, died in 1130. That made Eleanor the heir to the duchy, a collection of some of the richest lands in France. Her father made some attempts to remarry and have a son, but he didn't seem to worry all that much about having a daughter as his heir. He arranged for her to become the ward of the King of France right before he died in 1137. The French King, Louis VI, immediately brought Eleanor to Paris and arranged to have her marry his son, the Dauphin. It looked like Eleanor and the Dauphin, also named Louis, would be prince and princess for a while. But Louis VI died suddenly, and on Christmas Day, 1137, Louis VII and Eleanor of Aquitaine were crowned king and queen consort of France. She was only about 15 years old at the time. Her first Christmas as queen consort capped a year when she had lost her father, become Duchess of Aquitaine, moved from her loved home to Paris, which she's rumored not to have liked very much, married the Dauphin of France, lost her father-in-law, and become queen consort. Quite a year by anyone's standards. Eleanor's life as queen consort wasn't easy. She was not popular at court, where her upbringing in the courtly traditions at Aquitaine were viewed with suspicion and derision. Life at court was far more serious than her previous life had been, with little time for music or poetry or the things she had so enjoyed. And the area in northern France was a lot colder than she was used to. According to legend, Eleanor of Aquitaine is responsible for the development of indoor fireplaces as she was desperate to warm up her lodgings. Growing up, Eleanor had seen her mother and grandmother hold considerable responsibility as duchesses of Aquitaine. They were consulted in matters governing the duchy, and they both acted as leaders while their husbands were away. Eleanor might therefore have expected to play a significant role when she became queen consort, but that was not the case. Louis is reported to have been besotted with his young and beautiful wife, but he was not interested in involving her in matters of government, at least not officially. Still, Eleanor managed to have some influence as time went on. One thing she convinced Louis to do was support her sister's marriage. In 1141, the unfortunately already married Count of Vermandois married Eleanor's younger sister, Petronilla. 
Count Theobald was insulted that Vermandois had set aside his first wife, who happened to be Theobald's sister. When Louis sided with Eleanor and Petronilla, it meant war. As part of that war, Louis VII was involved in the assault on the town of Vitry and the burning of a church there. Louis most likely had no idea that women and children were taking refuge in the church, and they all died as a result of his order. Louis was devastated, and Eleanor was blamed. After other errors like that, Louis was desperate to make amends. And this brings us to Eleanor's next very important Christmas. During the Christmas Day celebrations in 1145, nine years after their coronation, Louis VII announced that he would lead a crusade to the Middle East. With the active and enthusiastic support of Pope Eugene III, Louis began making plans. In a move that surprised many, Eleanor decided to accompany her husband. There are several possible reasons for this. Perhaps Eleanor was looking to take a more active role, going along instead of merely supplying troops and money. After all, the crusade could also be a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Perhaps Louis decided he couldn't be apart from his wife for so long and insisted she come with him. Or perhaps Louis didn't relish the idea of leaving Eleanor and all her ideas behind in France while he was away. In any case, Eleanor's life was certainly changed by Christmas 1145. Louise and Eleanor's experiences during the lengthy and unsuccessful crusade placed unbearable burdens on an already failing marriage. Things were clearly fraught during the time they spent in Antioch as guests of Eleanor's uncle Raymond. Eleanor wanted to stay in Antioch and support Raymond's own plans for military action, but Louis insisted on carrying on to Jerusalem and forced Eleanor to come with him. After the failed battles there, Louis and Eleanor met with a pope who counseled the couple to remain together. He also blessed a bed for them to share. Which makes another problem of the marriage very clear. Not only did Eleanor and Louis have a number of serious disagreements, she had, quote, failed to provide him a son. This was a problem for both of them. Of course, King Louis needed a son to follow him on the throne of France. Eleanor also needed a son to follow her and become the next Duke of Aquitaine. They agreed to try one more time, and after meeting with the Pope, she did become pregnant. But after she gave birth to their second daughter, the marriage was effectively over. In March 1152, the Pope granted an annulment of their marriage. So probably the Christmas of 1152 would be a quiet affair, right? Recently single, no longer queen consort, just a woman living in Aquitaine on her own. Not with Eleanor. Instead, she got married just eight weeks after her annulment was made final. She wrote to Henry of Anjou, son of Matilda, who had been fighting for the crown of England, and asked him to come and marry her. And he did. So by Christmas 1152, Eleanor was married again, Duchess of Aquitaine and Anjou, and already pregnant. Louis was hugely insulted by the speed of her remarriage, especially as Eleanor and Henry were even more closely related than Eleanor and Louis had been, which had been the cause of their annulment. 
two Christmases later, in 1154, Eleanor was celebrating her second Christmastime coronation. She and Henry had been crowned King and Queen Consort of England in Westminster Abbey on the 19th of December. Her first pregnancy has re- had resulted in the birth of a son, another reason for Louis to seethe, and he joined Henry and Eleanor for their first royal Christmas celebration. And Eleanor is pregnant again. Life in England seemed to be agreeing with Eleanor, and the first years with Henry were meeting and possibly exceeding even her expectations. The royal family continued to spend Christmases together in England and France. In 1165, Eleanor and Henry spent their first Christmas apart. Looking back from the later years of their marriage, it's easy to focus on this as an early sign of trouble. There were certainly plenty of rumors by this point about Henry's many mistresses, and he might have preferred the company of someone other than his wife's at the holidays. On the other hand, he was also nursing an injury, and it may have made it difficult or uncomfortable for him to travel. And Eleanor was pregnant again within a few months of these separate celebrations, so there was not a complete breakdown between the pair. On Christmas Eve, 1166, Eleanor gave birth to her final child, Prince John. She had born Henry II eight children, including five sons. Although Prince William died before he turned three years old, the other children were all alive and well when John was born. By these standards, it was a remarkably successful dynastic marriage. Eleanor was about 44 at the time of her final pregnancy, which was pretty extraordinary at the time. After so firmly securing the future of the dynasty, it would be easy to assume that Eleanor would remain an honored member of the royal family and go down as the beloved and cherished wife of Henry II. Again, not with Eleanor. In what appears to have been an amicable move, Eleanor and Richard moved to Poitiers in 1169. Henry accompanied them there, and the move seems to have suited both Henry and Eleanor, allowing her to focus on her beloved homeland and providing him with a secure presence in an area that had proven reluctant to his reign. Richard was preparing to become Duke of Aquitaine, so he spent most of his time there with his mother. For Christmas 1169, Eleanor and Richard were at Poitiers, and Henry was in Brittany with his son Geoffrey. The royal couple did spend Christmas together in 1172, and almost certainly would not have known it would be one of their last joint celebrations. It would also be the final Christmas Eleanor would spend as a free woman for the rest of Henry's life. The next year, Eleanor was involved to some level in the rebellion of Henry's sons against him. The king prevailed, and he forgave his sons, but he imprisoned Eleanor in various strongholds throughout England and France for the rest of his life. Starting in 1173, Eleanor would spend most Christmases apart from her family. There was one notable exception. And now we're back to where we began. For the Christmas court of 1184, after spending more than a decade away from family celebrations, Eleanor was once more invited to join the family at Windsor. 
things had changed since her previous Christmases with them. The king and queen had lost another son, and the ramifications of that death became a central theme of the Christmas discussions. Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine had had two heirs for most of their time as king and queen, one for England and one for Aquitaine. Since the death of William in 1156 and the birth of Richard in 1157, the split had been clear and consistent. Young Henry would follow his father on the English throne and Richard would become Duke of Aquitaine. Young Henry had even been crowned as a sort of junior king in 1170. His frustration with having only minimal influence and power as a crowned king had been part of the impetus for the rebellion of the brothers against their father in 1173. Even after the reconciliation in 1174, young King Henry continued to rebel against his father. In 1183, after a battle against his father, young Henry contracted dysentery. He died on the 11th of June of that year. This threw the succession into disarray. Richard was now the eldest surviving son and therefore expected to be named heir to the English throne. Henry II demanded that Richard give up Aquitaine so John could have something to inherit as well. Richard refused. Scholars think this might have been one of Henry II's reason for assembling the Christmas court at Windsor and inviting Eleanor. Some reports say that as young Henry was dying, he begged his father to forgive and release Eleanor. Henry II did not go that far, but he may have realized that the sons were continuing to rebel against him without her encouragement, and that her support in establishing a clear plan for the succession might be a very good thing. Of course, we don't know what really happened in that Christmas court of 1184. Richard and John were there, so it's very possible that the question of who would become King of England and who would become Duke of Aquitaine at least came up. Also present were Henry and Eleanor's eldest daughter, Matilda, named for the king's mother, along with her husband and children. Matilda and her husband, also named Henry, unhelpfully, were Duke and Duchess of Saxony and Bavaria from 1168 till 1180. Richard's relationship with his father was as acrimonious as his brothers had been. He wanted Aquitaine and England. Not at the court of 1184, another inaccuracy of Lion in Winter, but later in 1187, Richard did form an alliance with Philip of France, son of Eleanor's first husband, Louis VII, and an enemy of Henry II. The next year, 1188, would be Eleanor's final Christmas in captivity. Henry II died in July 1189. Although she was several years his senior, Eleanor outlived her second husband as well as her first. Louis VII had died back in 1180. Richard became King Richard I after the death of his father. One of his first acts as king was to release his mother from prison and restore her estates. Eleanor flourished during the reign of her son, establishing his rule and reputation and securing the kingdom for him. Her political skills were on full display, 
and her experience was put to considerable use. Richard relied on Eleanor to hold the vast kingdom together whenever he was on crusade. Richard was captured by Duke Leopold of Austria as he returned from the crusade in 1192. John plotted with Philip and tried to take the English throne for himself, but Eleanor wouldn't have it. She put down John's rebellion and reinforced Richard's reign. She raised the astonishing ransom of 150,000 marks and negotiated Richard's release. Asking the Pope for help and signing the letter, quote, Eleanor, by the wrath of God, Queen of England. When Richard returned to England in 1194, he received a second coronation at Winchester to erase the memory of the captivity. In recognition and gratitude for all that she had done for him, Richard gave his mother a prominent role at that coronation. Christmas 1194 was the only one Richard would celebrate in England as King of England. After years of her own and her son's captivity, it must have been wonderful for Eleanor and Richard to celebrate together. Eleanor ruled as regent whenever Richard was traveling, which was the vast majority of his reign. Her age didn't seem to slow her down, and she was more active in government and rule than she had been during her time at the side of either of her husbands. Richard died when a wound to his shoulder became infected. Eleanor was at his side when he died the 6th of April, 1199. Eleanor retired to Fontevraud Abbey in 1200. That Christmas was her first in the Abbey in retirement. It would have been a significant change from two Christmas coronation ceremonies and celebrations and years of grand royal Christmas courts. Eleanor was in retirement, but she was not quite finished being involved in the family legacy. She had arranged for Henry II to be buried at Fontevraud, an abbey they had both strongly supported. In fact, Henry was known as the, quote, father of the church at Fontevraud. When Richard died, his heart was buried at Rouen, and his body was taken to be buried with his fathers at Fontevraud. When Eleanor was residing there, she began work on monuments to these two men and to Isabella of Angoulême, wife of King John and mother of the heir to the throne, who would become Henry III after King John's death in 1216. Eleanor also designed and commissioned her own monument. Eleanor's final Christmas was held at Fontevraud in 1203. After her death, her body joined those of her husband and son in the abbey. Henry II and Richard I are both represented with the royal scepter and crown. Isabella's monument is made of wood, and she is at rest. Eleanor herself is the only figure of this gathering who is represented as being active. She is displayed reading a book, which she holds open. Although the abbey was damaged during the French Revolution, the images remain in the nave of the church. It represents a Plantagenet memorial, but I tend to think it's mostly a memorial to Eleanor. Through a series of Christmas celebrations throughout the years, Eleanor developed from being a young girl in Aquitaine to Queen Consort of France, then wife to the heir to the English throne, then Queen Consort of England and mother of a growing royal family. 
even spending 16 Christmases in captivity couldn't keep Eleanor down, and she joined the family for that famous Christmas court in 1184. After outliving both royal husbands, Eleanor was the center of celebrations throughout the reign of Richard I, where she used her considerable talents to promote and secure his rule and his reputation. Even in retirement, she continued to carve out a legacy, leaving monuments to the Plantagenet Empire that would change the face of England and Europe for centuries to come. It's an amazing story of Christmases. And there's more Christmas to come this month. Please come back to hear Dr. Owen Emerson tell us all about Christmas celebrations at Hever Castle. And we'll be joined by my friend Brigitte Webster to hear about Tudor Christmas at the Old Hall. And finally, we'll welcome Jessica, our historian about town, to share the story of Queen Alexander's Christmas gift book and more. I hope you are having a wonderful season. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and leave a rating or a comment. I want to hear from you. And I'd really appreciate it if you'd consider becoming a member of the Royals, Rebels, and Romantics patron family. Your support means so much to me. Happy holidays, and let's keep shaking up history together.